Welcome back to Neurotypes, a neurodiversity podcast by Berkshire Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust. This is part two of our conversation with neurodiversity advisor Tani Prinderville and clinical director and neurodiversity lead Dr. Mary Evans. Together they discuss Tani's diagnosis as an autistic person with ADHD. Some of the topics discussed in today's episode are sensitive, so I do encourage you to read the episode description for more information. So we, we've spoken quite a lot about your experience of being autistic, Tani, but you have um, diagnosis of ADHD as well. And I'm just wondering how you see the difference between autism and ADHD and what impact ADHD has on, on your life. I think um, for everyone who is autistic and has ADHD, it will be very different. For me personally, I feel like my ADHD definitely has more of an impact on my life than being autistic. I feel like there's a lot of things I struggle with more because of my ADHD than with my autism because being autistic, I just sort of do things a bit differently. I see things differently. I navigate things differently. But with the ADHD, I feel like there are a lot more challenges in terms of my concentration and my hyperactivity because I do struggle quite a lot with the hyperactivity side of things and my executive functioning as well. That's a really, really big one for me. So just daily tasks, um, tasks of daily living, work, travel, shopping, food shopping, cleaning the flat, cooking, tidying after I've cooked, doing the laundry, all these different things. And I feel like um, medication does help with that. It takes the edge off it. It doesn't help completely. I think a lot of people think that if they are diagnosed with ADHD and they start medication, that their life will be perfect and amazing. But that really isn't the case. It helps massively. I do agree. But you still have to learn to manage with a lot of different things with that. You, you mentioned then, Tani, about medication and how it does help you, but you've explained that you're not on medication at the moment as well, is that right? Yes, there is a national shortage, um, which is impacting a lot of people um, in different ways. I'm sure you're aware of that as well, Mary, in your line of work. So people who are on medication, people who are caring for people who are on medication, people who are working with people um, or for people who um, need to take medication, schools, it's impacting so many different people, not just people who take the medication themselves. And this shortage is probably the longest one that I've experienced because over the years there have been lots of different shortages. I think the most that I've personally experienced is two weeks. But now... It's not due for a while, which is quite worrying for some people, myself included. But I am trying to learn how to manage without medication, which is interesting because I feel like this is the most unmasked and natural version of myself that I wasn't aware of because I thought from maybe the age of 20, I'm 23 now, I was doing a really good job at being unmasked and unmasking myself after accepting um, my autism diagnosis as well as ADHD diagnosis. But I don't think I was as unmasked as I thought I was until now, which is interesting because I'm learning something new about myself every day and I feel like this is fast-tracking the process, <laughs> not being medicated. Um, it's definitely come in with its challenges as 
I'm used to having that extra support from the medication. But I will get there as well as everyone else. We will get there. It's just about adapting and learning. And it does take time. Some people might take a bit longer. But it's not something that we can control. It's not our choice for this to happen. It's something that we just have to work around, which is unfortunate. But there are there can be benefits from it. For me, I feel like I'm learning more about myself, which is really valuable, although it is impacting my work, which is not so valuable right now. So are there any um, strategies that you're needing to put into place to manage at the moment, do you think? I think for me, it's about focusing on one thing at a time because my brain is a lot busier than it used to be. And um, when your brain is busy, it's very hard to pick one thing to do. So you try to do everything at once, which means nothing gets done. Or for me anyway, nothing gets done. So right now I'm trying to focus on getting into some sort of daily routine, just my daily life in terms of getting back on track with tasks like cleaning my car, cleaning the flat, food shopping. These are all things that have been impacted massively since um, stopping my medication. And I really like clean and tidy environments. I take pride in sort of how I organise things. So being in a messy environment sort of adds to that busyness in my mind because not only is my mind busy, but everything around me is busy too, which is really frustrating. So I'm that's my first task tackling that, which... I think I'm doing pretty well at. Um, so next will be tackling work because I'm struggling with work um, from that because it's really hard to concentrate and sit down at a laptop and computer for X amount of hours when there's just so much going on in my head and also trying to navigate everything in my personal life. So it's just about doing one thing at a time. You don't need to do everything at once. The world isn't going to stop, which is um, what someone said to me. He said that if you don't get something done, it's not going to be the end of everything. It just means it's going to be a bit delayed. And it's just about being kind to yourself in a new situation, a difficult situation, about looking after yourself and just doing something that makes you happy, I guess, because a lot of the times I have been quite overwhelmed and stressed. It's about finding something that brings you joy and making sure that you incorporate that in whatever you're doing. Being kind to yourself, being calm, looking maybe doing one thing at a time and, um, yeah, maybe accepting that things will get done later but it won't be the end of the world if they don't get done. That sounds really helpful advice. I um, I read something recently as well about strategies for the ADHD brain and quite often if you have a strategy or you put something in place that works, um, for somebody with ADHD, that might work for a while, but then it's almost like the brain's like, oh, I've had enough of that strategy now. It doesn't work anymore. And people feel like their strategies have failed. But it was saying about flipping it and seeing it as that strategy worked and it worked for a while and now I need a new strategy rather than that was useless, it didn't do anything. And I thought that was really interesting that, that you know, maybe with autism maybe there's something that might be a bit more routine and repetitive but with ADHD there needs to be the change and the shift to keep it interesting um, and, I, and I was wondering what it's like being autistic and having ADHD do they sit comfortably alongside each other or do they clash at times? I think you just described it really well Mary um, the 
autism loves routine. It likes predictability. It likes to know what's happening, when it's happening, how it's happening. But the ADHD side gets very bored with that very quickly. So it can be really frustrating when you find something that's really useful and it works. And then all of a sudden it just stops. And a part of you is like, no, I need to keep doing it. But then the other part of you is like, it's not useful and I don't want to do it. So then you just sit there doing nothing, stressing about what you should be doing, but you don't want to do and you can't do it. Nothing gets done and it's just in your thoughts about everything that needs to be done. You can't do it. And you're just ruminating. You're just going round in circles. It's, it is really challenging because sometimes it's an equal balance, like I've just described there. But sometimes it's more the impulsivity that's in control. It's ADHD and things are quite hectic in those times where you're sort of bouncing from thing to thing. You might have three new hobbies one week. Um, things are changing rapidly. And then one day that just stops and then the autumn takes control. Um, and that's when I notice that my work is much better. It's far more routine and structured. I follow more of a timetable. Whereas the times where the ADHD is in control, it's sort of, I pick different pieces to do at different times. So things get done, they just get done differently. And um, there's a different way of doing it. And you have no control um, of which side you're going to have every day when you wake up. It can change quite quickly no there's no trigger for it to change either it just changes um so it's every day is a new day and you never know what's going to happen what side's going to bring so it can be exciting but also it's worrying when you have things for example if you have a few things coming up you have a few deadlines a lot of things going on you want to make sure that you can keep to a certain structure to do everything in a particular way and get things done in a certain way but then one day you might find that really boring and really hard to do and really hard to pick up and start and it's a really bad time for that day to come in but it's a really bad time for ADHD to take control but you you can't pick it just happens. I imagine you're almost like there's one on one shoulder and one on the other shoulder yeah. and it's like, like you don't know which one's going to be in charge. Yeah. Um, we we were we were talking earlier about the age that um, you got the two diagnoses and and the experience that you had when you were younger and I was I was just wondering about the family experience of your sort of diagnosis and your journey as well. But what about your 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 parents' view? Did they accept the diagnosis when it was made? Did they sort of question it in the way you did at the beginning as well? What how did how did it happen? There. My parents weren't on board with um, the suggestion that I could be autistic um, for different reasons. So my mum is Cuban. She moved to England when I was two and a half. Um, she was 26, if I remember correctly. Um, so where she's from in Cuba, things like um, autism, learning disabilities and mental health in general, it wasn't a thing. And if it was a thing, it was hidden away. It's not something that people would talk about. It was very much brushed under the carpet. No one wanted to know about it. So she just couldn't understand that. She couldn't comprehend it when someone said that um, I could be autistic. So she wasn't quite about that either. I, I It was known to me that was her thoughts. Not by her saying it as such, but I could tell that she just wasn't against it and the way she would say certain things. And for my dad, he is 
much older. Um, and his views, well, his views, I think it was just his lack of knowledge. He saw autism in a very strict way because he has a few members of his family, says on his side of the family, where we have people who um, are autistic, but they have much higher support needs. Um, some of them are living in residential homes. So that was his view of what autism was. So he couldn't see how I could be autistic either. So for different reasons, my parents weren't on board with it and that would have had an impact on me. Um, I don't think I would have seen it then, but it's the same way if you have parents who are very religious, for example, um, both of your parents are religious, you are likely to grow up religious yourself because you have been influenced by that from a young age and you learn a lot about it as part of your life. Um, I think I was influenced by my parents in terms of what autism should be, what they thought it was, rather than what it actually is. And that was just from their own lack of knowledge and lack of education. People didn't speak about it, really. It was only, it was nine years ago now. Um, it was only nine years ago, but still in those nine years, I think a lot has happened in terms of people becoming more aware of the different presentations of people who are autistic. So my parents weren't on board with it at all I wasn't happy with it either I was worried about what other people would think just based on how my peers treated people in the school near us so I think that did have an impact as well on my assessment in terms of I just didn't want to be autistic I really didn't want to be autistic because in my mind it was it would be such a negative thing for me and it would change the course of my life I would never be able to get a job I would never be able to have a relationship I would never be able to have a group of friends that's what I thought it was when I was younger and I do think my parents views on it definitely had an impact. So you're explaining a bit Tani about how your parents experienced your diagnosis when you were younger and how that might have been informed by sort of cultural stories that your mum had from Cuba and then also the kind of myths and stereotypes that your your dad might have had um as someone who was slightly older, but also due to family members who were autistic as well. Um, is it the same? Have things changed over time, do you think? Things definitely changed over time, um, more so with my mum, I think. Um, at first, it was quite difficult, I think, especially since I didn't get the diagnosis. So if I got diagnosed at 14, 15, maybe it would have started a bit sooner in terms of how my parents saw things differently. Because although I wasn't diagnosed, I was still having those difficulties. Um, I was still not understanding why I was the way I was. And at the time, like I said before, I thought it was a problem that needed to be fixed. But actually, it just took small changes, like how me and mum spoke with each other. Or um, this is quite a silly one, but this cutlery I was served at dinner time um, because I definitely had my favourite cutlery. And for years and years and years, my mum would always give me the ones that I hated. And I wouldn't say anything. It was just a silent thing. I'd go up and I'd change it. And I knew that things had changed with my mum when one day, this was recently, this was probably about a year ago, my mum gave me the right spoon for the first time in my life. And I, I was quite emotional when that happened. And I told her about it. And I said, oh, you gave me this spoon. And she was like, that's because that's the one that you always use and you prefer. And in that moment, I felt really heard and really seen by her. Um, there's other things she's done before then that um, 
had improved. But I think in that moment, it made me realise, oh, she's really understanding now. And um, so a couple of years ago, she started a journey into becoming a teaching assistant um, in a SEN school as well. And so she's had a lot of training around um, autism as well as learning disabilities and um, mental health problems. And from then, things changed drastically. I think she really started to understand me because although... I knew I was autistic, she knew I was autistic and she'd also accepted it. We didn't really know much about how it was for me because I guess I was still learning it myself. So it was hard for me. It must have been even harder for her because she wants to help, but she doesn't know how to. Um, and I think that really opened her eyes with a lot of things and that probably impacted the spoon situation. Um, but things changed drastically and our relationship couldn't be better because it was really difficult before because there were some things that I just couldn't do like for example food um, I would go through phases where I would only eat certain things and that was it I couldn't eat anything else so that would be difficult in terms of mum who's creating all these meals spent I was cooking every day and I don't want to have a dinner I want to have something really simple and so that is going to cause friction if it's constantly happening she's trying to do something for the family and then it seems like I'm not appreciating it and I just don't want to, I just leave a food stipend and then have something else. Then she would accommodate and cook the thing that I want and then after two months, I can't touch that food, I can't smell that food, I can't be anywhere near it and we've got three months worth in the freezer. So <laughs> there was a lot of friction for lots of different reasons. But as time's gone on, I think she's sort of understanding why I am the way I am. She knows why I wouldn't necessarily eat something. She won't be angry about it. She's get better in terms of communicating, asking, I'm going to cook this. Do you want that? Or do I need to make something else for you instead of just doing something? Which is what a lot of families can do. They can just cook and they can give it to their children. But then a lot of families can't as well. And we were one of them. And she was adapting to that because in Cuba, it was you eat what you're given sort of thing. And that was the mindset my mum had for a long time. And I think it was more difficult for her because I did do that when I was younger. But then as we came here, I started to become fussy. Those were her words. And that is how it looks, I guess. It does look like fussy eating. That's probably because I wasn't used to having these foods that were so simple to eat. It, I didn't have that option. So as soon as I had the option of something that wasn't as overwhelming for her senses, I chose it. Um, I think that was hard for her to adapt to. But it's just things like that, learning that and being more accommodated, not being angry with her response with it. Um, I didn't like being in crowded places before and we used to get into quite heated arguments around certain things with that and I'd be really overwhelmed and then it would end up in a big old meltdown and she'd be upset, I'd be upset. And now she knows before we go into that, she knows sometimes I need to go off and she wouldn't be angry with it. It wouldn't be, we're here, we're seeing family or friends, you need to socialise. If I need my space, I need my space and she's okay with that. And I would hear people saying, oh, where's Tani from the other room? And she'd be like, oh, she'll be here in, in a minute. She knows I need that space. Um, it's really nice to see the transition because it was really hard at the beginning, especially without that diagnosis because she was, oh, you didn't get a diagnosis, it means you're not. So forget it, that's fine. Um, but things definitely 
changed massively. And now my mum even thinks she could be autistic herself um, after all the education. And I wouldn't be surprised. We're very similar in certain ways, but we're also very different in certain ways too, in terms of our communication. But we're learning and we're learning what the other person needs. We're learning that we see things differently and we need to speak about things differently. She is a very visual learner. Um, and I find that really frustrating when I'm trying to explain something to her, but she has to look at it first. I used to find that really frustrating because for me, it's just about listening. And so we were complete opposites, but we're learning that now. So before she'd try to point and show things, I'm like, no, you need to tell me. But we now know what our, the other person prefers and we're doing that for them. So our relationship has just grown from strength to strength from this. And with my dad, He's far more understanding as well. He's learned a lot about it. He has accepted it. He's now aware that everyone represents differently. We're all different. We're all unique. People who are autistic and people who aren't autistic. Um, and he, there's still a long way to go with my dad, I think. But but he's doing what he can. And I appreciate it. I notice the changes. And a lot of that's from my mum too. I think everything my mum learns, she then echoes it down to my dad and then he's like oh okay it just takes a bit more time to process it but um everyone's getting there and I think it's the trying that's the most important thing because you're not always going to get it right it's not possible to get everything right no one can do that but it's knowing that someone's trying to help and they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to educate themselves that means more than the getting it right sometimes it's really helpful. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm so struck by the story of the spoon yeah. because it might seem like a small thing to some people, but it's a big thing as well, isn't it? Because it feels like for you, like you said, that made you feel heard. Like your mum got it, that it was more than just being fussy with a spoon. It was it was what feels right when you eat and, you know, get gets eating, um, makes the eating experience right, right for you. Um, and for her to get that and, and to do that, but then for you to recognise that, and maybe people who are parents of younger children who are autistic maybe don't experience that quite so much because maybe it's the reflection as you get older, you you recognise it and, and can see some of that as well. But it feels like you've been on a real journey together. It's really nice to hear. What I would say for parents is sometimes we might not, say thank you for certain things for example a spoon I did with my mum but I think that's because I was a lot older if I was younger I probably wouldn't have said it but it doesn't mean what you're doing isn't noticed we do notice and we do really appreciate it um, it's just sometimes we don't I personally don't think I need to say thank you for some things because I show it in a different way I think I'm good at saying thank you but I don't think words are always necessary because there's other ways you can show it, but that might not be seen. But we do notice what you do and we do appreciate it and it does make a big difference. Like he said, someone might think, oh, you just gave her a different spoon. And it was never like a big thing for me. Like I could eat with other spoons or I would just change it. But it was the thought that went behind it. It meant so much more than just getting a certain spoon. But it isn't unnoticed, the things that you do for us. So, I mean, we've spoken a lot about um, autism and ADHD and the impact on on the way you live your life and, and on, on relationships as well. 
What would you say are some of the strengths of being autistic or having ADHD for you? I think the strengths question is a difficult one, not just for me, but for a lot of people, because what someone else might see as a strength, I just see that as normal living, just me being normal. It's much easier to identify things that I struggle with than things that I'm good at, because what people might see as me being good at, I just see it as me just doing it normally. So um, that question is always a hard one for me to answer. I'm not very good at answering those questions. And I think I also have in the back of my mind what people want to hear in terms of the stereotypes and the strengths of that. For example, people saying that all autistic people are good at maths. That's a big one. Um, I personally am good at maths, but I know people who are autistic and they aren't good at maths. Um, so I also have that in the back of my mind. Is there certain things that they want to hear when they say strengths? And then I'm like, am I good at that? Am I good at this? And then I'm starting to analyse myself. So that question is quite hard to answer. That's really interesting then. So I suppose um, it might be thinking about it in a in a different way because you, you explained a little bit about when you were 14 and there was the kind of borderline discussion and you're thinking then about what autism was and what it meant to be autistic and for you what it would mean to be not autistic because you were sort of leaning towards wanting the not autistic answer. Again, I mean, thinking about going back, are there things that you would tell yourself at that time now about why being autistic wasn't as bad as you thought it would be? Is that a bit of a confusing question? No, it's just a long one, so I'm wrapping it around my head. <laughs> it's just a long one. Um, what would I tell myself? I think it would be good to tell myself that I'm not weird. <laughs> I'm not the odd one out. There isn't anything wrong with me. Um, that would definitely probably be the first thing. I'd say, because you always sort of feel like you're on the outside looking in, working at how do I get in. It's not really about what I'm good at and what I'm not so good at, but that I just do things a bit differently. And that's okay. It's okay to do things differently because you still get the thing done. You just have a different way of doing it. That's really helpful. Um, Temple Grandin once said... Um, she's a quite a, a famous autistic woman who who invented all this amazing machinery around farming for some reason um but she once said that if there weren't autistic people we'd all still be sat around in caves talking and you know and and her view that you know there were some really great autistic thinkers that have, have invented things but I think you you kind of touched on it earlier when you said about the mass or not mass there's just some very average autistic people out there, aren't there? Just living average lives. Um, and we, it's about not expecting people to fit inside any box, isn't it, really? We, we, you know, there will be autistic people who are good at maths. There will be autistic people who are bad at maths. There will be autistic people that want to live on their own. There will be autistic people that want to get married and have children. There are autistic people with ADHD and there are autistic people that don't have ADHD. And, um, you know... Males that are autistic, females that are autistic, people who are autistic and have learning difficulties and those that don't have learning difficulties. It's so varied, isn't it? It's really, um, 
it must be hard then to have somebody like me go, so what are the positives? Because like you say, you know your experience, don't you? Yeah, and I think what makes it challenging too is at different points, I'm sure most people would have experienced the, are you sure you're autistic? Like, you don't seem autistic. I think that's quite a common thing you get, especially if you haven't known that you're autistic since you was a child, since you was a young child. Um, and even if you did, it's still a very common thing that a lot of people experience. Um, I think one example is, I'm not very good at understanding sarcasm, but I would say I'm quite a sarcastic person myself. I can be quite sarcastic. And so it's like, oh, but you're sarcastic. Oh, you've made that sarcastic comment. You can't be autistic. Or, or you're looking me in the eyes. You have good eye contact. You're not autistic. So I think when questions like that come out, you do think, what are they thinking on my answers? Are they, do they already have a set of answers in their head that I need to follow so that they could be like, oh, yeah, that means she is autistic. Um, so, yeah, it can be quite challenging with that. I think when there is still that stereotype of what the presentation would be, um, whether you have high support needs or low support needs, or like you said, that you, there are average people like that are autistic. It is difficult when you're already being judged and people trying to work out if it's true or not or try and dismiss um, who you are as a person. I wouldn't even say dismiss your diagnosis, just dismiss who you are. It's not diagnosis because some people aren't diagnosed. It doesn't mean they're not autistic. Um, and it can be challenging because then you're almost having to defend your very existence sometimes, which is hard to navigate. It can be really tricky to navigate. It's an odd one as well, isn't it? Because you've already mentioned it. We've spoken more about autism than ADHD. But you also said that ADHD is the one that probably has the most impact on your daily living. And I mean, you might not be able to answer this, Tani. I think I'm just putting a question out there. Is I wonder why that is. I wonder why people talk about autism more than they talk about ADHD. I think that there's more shame around ADHD sometimes. Um, I think there is, especially sometimes I felt like a fraud um, when I sort of knew I had ADHD, but I may not seem like I have ADHD but that's because I do internalize it quite a lot and I know from the outside looking in you get the same thing like oh but I thought ADHD is just for boys you know for little boys and um, you're you're an adult and you're a girl you you can't have ADHD and I I think that's also something that can be masked as well you sort of know what you should do and you shouldn't do or how you look anyway on the outside just because I'm not running around the room doesn't mean I'm not running around in my head um there's different ways that it can show and I think with ADHD there is that stigma of can you work then if you have a can you do this can you do this written task or will you be able to remember this uh, I, I do think there's more shame um, with ADHD for me personally shame isn't the right word for me but I do feel like there would be more judgment with ADHD especially because I think there is that thing of but it's for little boys mm. to have ADHD um, and I, from outside looking in, definitely when I was younger, I don't think you would think I have ADHD, but on all my school reports, they would say about me daydreaming, um, quite a lot. Um, but I was always top of the class, but, um, I would daydream. That's because 
I'd learn the information very quickly. I'd know what the teacher's saying before they finish the sentence. So then I'd get bored easily and then I'd shut off. I don't need to listen to that. I've got it now. It's fine. The homework, I'd do it because my mum was very on top of me doing the homework. But that was a horrible, horrible, horrible task for me. As it is for a lot of kids, homework isn't the most um, (laughs) fun thing to do when you're outside of school. But I could get by without it. But then when it was time to really like knuckle down and do revision and things started getting harder, that's when I really struggled because I couldn't put my mind to the task. I just couldn't do it. Um, and it might be seen as lazy. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They they could have revised, but they didn't. But it's, I, I can't. I can't sit down and revise. I can't do it. I can't get my brain to focus on what it needs to focus on because it's focusing on everything else that it shouldn't be. Um, So, yeah, ADHD, although it has more of an impact, I do feel like it's more hidden as well. And it can be hidden a lot more easily. So it probably isn't talked about as much. And in terms of work and employment, I think for people who have little knowledge about um, like neurodiversity, autism, ADHD. If they were to know that someone has ADHD, they'd pr- probably be more judgmental than if someone was autistic because you'd think, can you get the job done? Whereas with the stereotypes of autism, it's like, oh, they're very organised, they're very punctual, they can do all, that's fine, I can give them all this, they're going to have it all colour-coded, it's going to be perfect. But ADHD, oh, they might not be able to do that. So I think that's why it does... It doesn't get spoken about as much. Yeah, whilst we know people with ADHD who who describe some of the strengths of ADHD, there might be being able to multitask, quick thinking, thinking outside the box and differently as well. You spoke earlier about thinking outside the box. So there are lots of strengths that someone with ADHD will bring to their work role as well. If they're in the right job, isn't there? Because there's hyper-focus as well. So with ADHD... Um, a little bit like autism, you can really hyper-focus into something, can't you, and and get that done. It's about how you present a task. Um, I was speaking with a colleague about it who um, shares similar experiences, and I do much better under pressure than I do when I have too much time to do something. If I'm told something needs to be done, say I need to do something by, if there's asked me to stay, it needs to be done before Christmas, that's too much time. That's too much time. I'm going to tell myself I've got plenty of time to do it, but it's going to be done at that last minute. But if I'm told if it's like something that needs to be done straight away, it's an emergency, can you help with this? All over it. That's fine. I work under that sort of pressure and um that colleague shared a similar experience as well as a lot of people who have ADHD. So it's about how you present certain things. If you know someone works better with um shorter time frames, adapt to that as um a manager or as an employer or as some a colleague, adapt to that, give them tasks where they do have, they need like a higher turnaround or just give them less time to do it. Even if you don't need it for a few weeks, tell them it needs to be done by the end of the day or the end of the week. If that's what they tell you, will help them do the job. It's just about how you present certain things because we can all get the job done. It's just about how we do it. It's going to be different and there's certain ways where we can perform better than others, same as everyone else. Brilliant, thank you. I've worked with young people in CAMS and I've worked in adult mental health, but I've also worked in neurodiversity services, so in diagnostic services. Um, For me, there has been a real shift and a real change in how autism particularly has been seen 
and how the diagnosis of autism has been seen. Um, I probably it's almost twenty years ago when I first worked in in a diagnostic service the first time. It, it was seen in a much more negative light than it is now to be autistic, but there's still a long way to go. But I can see the the journey that's been made. For me, giving a diagnosis to somebody, it it it's a really positive experience now because I feel like you're giving someone, hopefully, a better understanding of themselves, and hopefully, kind of lifting um, lifting the kind of lid off why they've been having some of the challenges that they've had, and also enabling them to see some of their strengths and and shine in their best light as well. We're definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, though, the important thing is that autism and ADHD aren't just the job of an autism and an ADHD service. It's all health services, all education establishments, all sort of social care. Everywhere needs to understand autism and understand ADHD and understand it well to support people um, so that people can just sort of access the same services and things as everybody else does, really. I think what frustrates me is when a diagnosis or a lack of a diagnosis is seen as a barrier to receiving support. I think there was pros and cons to being diagnosed, as there is with most things, but it was good in terms of that feeling of being the odd one out or always being outcast, an alien almost, it it disappeared, it sort of made sense and I no longer felt that way. I just realised that I was different but not in the way that I thought I was. Um, I read something about people saying that it's almost like everyone has a manual to life and then you're the one who didn't have it, you're the one who didn't get to read it. Um, and it, it did feel like that and it was just like, okay, so that's why. But I think... The hard part was the reflections, sort of seeing different scenarios of your life and realising why it turned out a certain way or why maybe you behave a certain way in a certain situation or I didn't understand that, okay, that makes sense now. Um, in school, there was like a running joke. People would always say to me, um, look at that behind you, it's gullible behind you, the word gullible. And I would fall for that every single time that, all through secondary school, it was constant. And looking back, it just makes more sense to me now. I just get that. And when I started working, for me, I would go into the staff room where everyone is and I wouldn't say anything to anyone. I'd just go in. And then people would come in after me and they're, hi, hi, how are you? Good, thanks, how are you? And just a little bit of chat. And in that moment as well, being diagnosed, I realised oh, so that's why then, because I would sometimes do it because I observed other people and I think that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to say hi when I walk in and I see people. I didn't want to do it, but I did it because I thought I had to do it. And it made me realise why I thought that way. And it's just the reflections and every so often you remember certain things and it can be quite upsetting to realising that you didn't know at the time, maybe like people a bit mean to you, and then you realise, oh, it's because of that. And so it can be quite a sad process as well. But um, once you've sort of had your reflections and you start learning about yourself, it is 
it is nice because I feel like the true you starts to come out because before that that wasn't me like being social and saying hi although it's polite I didn't that wasn't me that wasn't me being true to myself that was me trying to fit in and doing what I thought was expected of me but I didn't have to do it I didn't have to um, ask them how their weekend was and things like that so it was interesting overall I am very grateful for my diagnosis and I do think it has been helpful but there were some things that I did have to get my head around which were difficult um I think also understanding that there were so many things that people would have seen before and it just wasn't noticed um so my mum taking me to the GP when I was four because she thought I was deaf and being told that I have selective hearing and how I used to have um what they say with tantrums and when I got angry that's what they said I would hold my breath until I went blue and nearly passed out and it was things like that that people just didn't pick up on and how I would always have to hold on to a certain material. I had to hold on to a certain material and it was in a form of bear. And when I lost it, I could not be settled for so, so long because no matter how many things that we tried, it, they, I couldn't use it. I was distraught for weeks, apparently. I just had to hold on to this or hold on to my mum. I had to hold on to something. Um, it was just lots of different things and thinking, it wasn't noticed and if it was noticed how different my life could have been um so I guess it's almost a bit of a grieving process of what could have been but also grateful that I can use what I know now to shape my life really and do things that are good for me do things that I want to do be who I am and no longer have to almost fake it just so I can fit in I can be me and still still have a job still have a social life still have relationships um have a better relationship with my family and it is still possible because I at first when I forgot about being autistic I didn't think I'd ever be able to work I didn't think I'd be going back to my school I didn't think I'd be able to have friends or relationships I that's what I thought it was so it's you learn a lot it's learning about your your previous life what your life has been and what your life can be what your life will look like it's it's a lot to process but it's definitely helped me i think thank you so much mary and tanny i'm sure our listeners will find this episode helpful whether they are seeking a diagnosis have been diagnosed themselves or simply want to learn more about autism and adhd If you have any questions about any topics discussed in today's episode or have topic suggestions for future episodes, our contact details are in the episode description.